Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to uh, be able to be together this morning and worship the Lord together. We're returning to the letter of Ephesians in chapter 6 this morning. Coming to the, to the end of this great uh, letter that we've been working through uh, for uh, some time now. I guess it's been um, two years, <laughs> basically, with some interruptions here and there. But uh, we've uh, been looking at this passage um, to the end of the letter as Paul talks about the, uh, the struggle that we as believers have, the spiritual battle that uh, we have as believers. And if you are saved, if you belong to Christ, then you are in the battle. Uh, you, you have this... You, this thing that Paul is describing here in these verses, and you know, you know the struggle that you face spiritually. Uh, the verses we're going to be looking at this morning in verse 14 and verses 15. Uh, notice there he says, "Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given." by the gospel of peace. And as believers then, we are admonished, as he said here, to stand in the strength of the Lord. And Paul is um, uh, using the analogy of a, of a soldier uh, to, in, in the pieces of armor and protection, uh, the sword that, that a, a soldier would have He's using those well-known uh, image that everyone in that day would have been familiar with, that being there with Roman soldiers around day in and day out. And he's using those different parts to speak of the provisions that we have in Christ as believers, that which God has done for us and he's provided for us. And we are admonished to appropriate those things, to put them on. To live in the reality of what Christ has done for us and who we are in Him. And we're told to, to stand in His strength with the whole armor that God has provided and to be able to stand against what He describes as the schemes of the devil. Let's read from verse 10 just to see that context. He says, finally, this is Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take therefore up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so we see in verse 14 this first piece of armor that he speaks of, the, the belt of truth. Uh, he says in verse 14, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And that is literally 
having girded your waist with truth. And this, uh, this, this, what he says here about girding yourself uh, is something that was very common in that day. You go all the way back in the Old Testament and you see this, um, this, this phrase used to, to speak about readiness, about alertness. And, uh, you know, in that day, you go back to the Old Testament as well, they were very common to have these long robe-like uh, garments that, uh, that, that people wore. And if you were going to be doing some type of activity, working, or certainly going to battle, you would have to, uh, to, to gird up with a, with a belt of those loose garments, to tuck in pull in the, the, the loose garments that would, you could trip over, that would be in your way, that would hinder what you were doing. And that, that image is, uh, is very well known. <clears throat> Go all the way back into, uh, I saw it in Exodus uh, in chapter 12. You remember the children of Israel. They were getting ready to leave the bondage there in Egypt. And uh, there on that night of the Passover, Remember that event where the death angel passed over and killed all the firstborn except for those that had obeyed the Lord and trusted in Him. And He gives instructions to them in verse 11 and says, And thus ye shall eat it. We're speaking of this meal that they would, uh, would prepare and eat from the lamb that had been chosen and the blood from that lamb had been put on the doorpost and over the, the lintel, and all of that uh, looking to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation in us. But I want you to notice, He says, And thus ye shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so you see this imagery here of, of some of the people that are, uh, they're ready they're prepared. It's not going to be your normal kind of meal where you just kind of sit back and relax and, and you have no worries and you just eat. But no, this meal was to be eaten as if you're getting ready to go somewhere. You're getting ready to engage in some activity. And having the, the waist girded and shoes on your feet and the staff in your hand, just like you're getting ready to walk out the door. And, and so we see this image of, of tucking in these loose ends of a, of a garment. And, it, and it's a good analogy for the Christian life. Because in our life, there's a, there's a lot of loose ends. It's easy to, to, to allow your Christian life to develop these loose ends. Loose living or loose thinking. And if we're going to engage in the battle, in, in the spiritual battle, live for the Lord as believers, we have to pull those in. Bring those in. Tie those in so that they're in conformity and readiness to live for the Lord. Uh, notice how uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is be, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's using this, this imagery of, of putting on this belt 
but he's using in, in terms of our thinking. Gird up uh, those loose thinking, thinking like the world, having the values of the world. Tie those up. And notice how Paul here describes this girding. He says it's to be girded up with truth. As Christians, we are to be people of the truth. People of the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible, is our sole authority. And we must submit ourselves unto it. Uh, it is our, it is the truth that God has given us. By it we know what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is godly. It is the Word of God. The world around us is looking for truth in all the wrong places. You can think about Jesus when he was before Pilate. You remember that interrogation as, as Pilate would question Jesus. And, uh, he says, um, Pilate says to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a, a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said, what is truth? It's pretty, uh, it, it really describes the world, doesn't it? What is truth? Pilate was like people today that have a lot of voices that are claiming truth. He, was, he listened to the politicians. He can listen to the spiritual rulers, the, the, the Jewish uh, uh, you know, rulers at that day, they were speaking their truth. What, what was right. And, and now here's Jesus before him who is the embodiment of truth and yet he, he doesn't know him. He doesn't recognize him for who he is and he's just confused and he says, what is truth? Who am I to listen to? And the world is like that today. They're looking at this person and that person and this idea and that idea. They're looking from within and they're they're, they're imagining well, what is truth. But people that have rejected Christ and the Word of God, they, they are groping about. They're, they're like the, um, the analogy of the blind men that are touching different parts of an elephant. You remember that, that story, no doubt. And the, 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 the story goes that the that these blind men are each touching different parts of an elephant and they're trying to uh, determine what an elephant looks like. And the, and the one thinks it's like a rope. <laughs> and the one says, no, it's like a tree trunk. No it's, no, it's like a wall. And they all have these different perspectives of what this uh, elephant uh, looks like based upon their limited experience, but none of them have the truth. If they got together and shared their experience, then they could they could come closer to the truth of what an elephant really is like. But there's a big difference between knowing what a thing like an elephant is and knowing God and what God is like. You see, God has revealed Himself unto us through His Word. And that's the only way that we could ever know God and who He is. Without His revelation, we would uh, 
we would be hopeless and, and helpless. And that's where the world is today if, if they've rejected God's Word. Because they have rejected God's Word. They have no, they have no hope. And God has given us His Word and we can know Him. We can know how to be forgiven and have a, how to have a relationship with Him because of uh, the revelation that God has given us. Today, we see the world around us that seems to be content with their own version of truth. Uh, most or many people today believe that there is no real objective truth that everyone must submit to. In other words, each person can have their own subjective ideas of what is truth. Well, if it's right for you, that's fine. I have my truth, you have your truth. And that's the kind of the, the general thinking of today. But you know, you wouldn't trust that kind of thinking if you're in a boat out on the open sea. It, it wouldn't do to, to say, well, what do you think? Which way we should go? Well, I think we should go this way. And I think we should go that way. No, you're going to want to have some point of reference that you can depend upon. You'd like to know where true north is. And, and as in the past, the, the mariners, they had to uh, look to the stars and try to try to determine their location and where, where true north was, the north star. Uh, if you were in the northern hemisphere, you could depend on that. And um, today we have a, a GPS right on your phone that you've got in your pocket this morning. And you can uh, find out where you're at and, and where you want to go, certain direction. And for the most part, <laughs> you can depend on that. It might take you uh, in, in, through somewhere you didn't want to go. But, uh, <laughs> but we, have, we have that uh, point of reference that you can depend upon. It's based upon given geographic points. And for on the spiritual level, practical level in our in our lives to to navigate the seas of life, the various opinions and philosophies philosophies of men will not do. Uh, we need the anchor of God's word, the, the unwavering truth of God's revelation to us. You see, the Christian is not ready for spiritual battle. Until he's settled in his mind and in his heart that the Word of God is the truth. It's not subject to man's opinions and the changing attitudes of the world. We don't, we don't, we don't take God's Word and kind of make it fit into what people are thinking today. And allowing it to change and waver and, and adapt it to fit what fits in with, uh, with the right uh, philosophy of today. No, God's Word is the anchor that must anchor us to what God has revealed, what is for God right, and for what is for God wrong. Jesus said in John 14, 6, His disciples there in the upper room, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And that's the unwavering truth that we have in God's Word. Jesus is the living Word of God and the embodiment of truth. And so the question this morning is, do you have Him? Do you know Him? Do you have a, a, a 
relationship with Him. So the truth of God. Well, this word that Paul uses here, truth, is the word aletheia. And it, it can also be used as an internal quality that uh, a person can have, truth. Or we might think of um, truthfulness, and integrity. You see, it's not enough to hold the truth. The truth must hold us. And, and so it's not just something that we believe or something that we, we, we've come to understand and know. It is something that we live. And so truth in this in, internal sense is integrity or truthfulness that is part of who we are as believers. See, the Christian who is girded up with truth is someone who is held by the truth. There's a singleness about that person. Uh, they are the same person on Monday as they are on Sunday morning. The same person through the week. There is a, an integrity, a, a truthfulness about a singleness about that person. He is girded with truth. If you, to, to understand what this means, you can think of the opposite. And Satan is the embodiment of the opposite of truth. Uh, remember in John 8, 44, there Jesus speaking to these, uh, uh, these Pharisees says, You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And so for us as believers, we who have the truth, the truth is in us. We are to stand in the truth. He goes on to say when... He, speaking of, of uh, Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so as believers, that is, is the exact opposite of who we are in Christ. We stand in the truth, and we are to take up the truth and live it, live it out in our lives so that it is evident for those around us that we are a person of integrity, of truth. Abraham Lincoln wrote when he became president, he said, I desire to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left and that friend shall be down inside of me. He's talking about his conscience. He's, he's done what he believed to be to be right. And without this internal integrity, you and I are not ready for the spiritual battle. See, it's not that uh, we're able, ever able to live perfectly according to the standard of truth that we have in God's Word. We, we are sinners. We do fail. We do come short of that standard. But as obedient believers, we are repenting. We are confessing. We're turning from that sin. And we are walking with the Lord in the light of His Word. 
That's what Scripture refers to as a good conscience. It's, it's, it's living according to the truth that we have, that we understand to be right. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul writes there in chapter 1, verse 18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. And so he's talking about this good warfare. The same thing that he's writing here about in Ephesians 6. And he's admonishing him to have uh, to wage this battle with faith and a good conscience. John says it this way in 3 John chapter 3, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so this is, this is what Paul is describing. He's describing, as he looked at the Roman soldier's belt, He's girded up, and he puts his scabbard on it, and hangs things on it, and it readies him for battle. And for us as believers, we have the truth of God. We have received the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we ready ourselves for battle, we must walk in that truth. It must become who we are. And how we live, how we think, how we conduct our lives. We can't separate ourselves from this truth. We can't say, well, I like that part. That part of there I don't really like, so I'll just leave it out. No, we, we must embrace the Word of God as ours to change us, to enable us to think rightly, to resist the, the, the temptation to to drift with the world in their thinking and their living. Well, the second piece that he speaks of here is the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, you've all seen it out in movies, these breastplates, these big plates that covered the whole torso to protect um, in battle. Uh, a soldier would never think of going into a battle without this uh, protection. Uh, maybe you know a heavy leather or metal uh, type protection that covered covered these vital organs of the body, and as believers we have such protection that protects us, and it is righteousness. And the Scripture speaks of two types of righteousness that that are applied to us as believers. First of all, there is positional right, righteousness. And then secondly, there is a practical righteousness. The, the positional righteousness is our right standing with God because of our position in Christ. Let me say that again because you didn't quite, quite get that. Our positional righteousness is our right standing with God because of our position in Christ. In other words, if you've if you have Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have this position in Him. You are a son of God. 
That is, that is your position, your positional righteousness. It is, a, it is an imputed righteousness. In other words, it's put to your account by God because of the righteousness of Christ. It's not your own righteousness, not that you've done anything to deserve it or earn it, but it is put to your account. That is a, a positional righteousness. And then flowing out of that is a practical righteousness. That is the day-by-day lived-out righteousness, obedience to the Lord. It is referred to as sanctification, or halach mocking. And it ought to be an ongoing and everyday progress, a movement in the direction of likeness to Christ. And so we, we see this, uh, this practical righteousness is not self-righteousness. Some have imagined that that this righteousness is something that you can accomplish in your own strength. If you just do the right things, if, if you just don't do certain things, if you just try hard enough, in other words, you can, you can accomplish this righteousness and that the Bible describes as self-righteousness. It, it is something that's condemned because Self-righteousness is an outward righteousness that leaves the heart unaffected. In other words, it's just an external conformity to rules or to an expectations of someone else. And it leaves the heart in just as bad a shape as it ever was, and in many ways worse because it gives you pride and a sense of accomplishment that is not real. And it keeps you from humbling yourself and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the Pharisees were in the New Testament. You remember, you remember them in the confrontations with Christ? They, in the eyes of the people, they were righteous. They were the embodiment of what it meant to be righteous. And Jesus comes along and says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they were no doubt shocked. How can we exceed what they do? And what Jesus' point is, is that you need a righteousness that comes from within. One that comes from God and lived out in the power of God. And so sanctification is empowered by the Spirit of God. It is a, it is a growth that is produced by God in us as we put off Self, if we put off sin, we put off the lust of the flesh, and we put on obedience to the Word of God and submission to the Spirit of God. That is practical righteousness. Let me show you a couple of scriptures to help you uh, think about <clears throat> this, um, this righteousness. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You see, you hear the urgency in his, in his voice there. Now's the time. It's time to wake up. It's time to get serious about living for God. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. and Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry, and in drunkenness, and lewdness, and lust, 
not in strife and envy. Notice this last verse. Put, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. He's calling for this practical righteousness to be lived out with urgency because of who we are and who Christ is and the fact that He's coming again. The Lord wants us to live in that expectation that could be today that we will see our Lord. Also in Romans 6, verse 13, He says, And neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. This is the practical righteousness. I like John MacArthur's notes where he says, Imputed righteousness makes practical righteousness possible. But only obedience to the Lord makes practical righteousness a reality. And so we're talking about here walking with the Lord in obedience unto Him, unto His Word. This is the breastplate that protects us. It protects us against the enemy that would come and attack us. The world, flesh, and the devil are His instruments. And uh, we are, <clears throat> are left vulnerable without this righteousness. First of all, we must be born again. We must be saved. Standing in the righteousness and imputed to our account by the Lord Jesus Christ. Having that righteousness, we are to live that out. We are to live that out in our practical living, which provides for us this protection. Earlier in the chapter, or in the letter, in, the, in chapter 4, verse 25 and 27, he, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so the implication is there, if you don't do that, if you allow anger to just kind of stay in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, you don't, you're not resolving conflicts, you're giving the devil a place an opportunity to attack you. And, and so this, this breastplate of righteousness, of obedience to the Lord, it protects us. It, but without it, without this practical righteousness, this practical living for God, you give place to the devil. You're inviting him. It's like the, it's like the homeowner that, that leaves his door standing open. At night, the gate's not fastened. Windows are open, and you're giving place for attack. Well, thirdly, he speaks of this gospel of peace, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, for the Roman soldier. He's told to stand firm. They, they approached battle a little differently. The Romans were known for their formations. And uh, they would, ha would get to the shield next time. But they, they would stand in these rows and they would work together. You know, form a wall. 
and each soldier had their place. And they were to stand in that place. They didn't have to worry about this guy over there and that guy over there and who's behind and who's in front. They had their place that they were to stand firm in. And they were not to not be moved. And to have that kind of stability, you see that repetition here in Paul's words that we're to be to, to stand in the strength of the Lord and to stand, having done all to stand firm. You see that repetition of the idea of standing. And we talked about that um, in, in two messages previously about this need to stand. But without, without the proper shoes, that would be very difficult. These Roman soldiers had um, shoes with spikes of some kind so that they could stand firm in conditions oftentimes that would be very slippery, muddy, and it's no good if you're sliding around. You can't keep your feet. You could have a very very strong soldier with all the equipment on, but if he's down on the ground, he's vulnerable. Right? When I hear this analogy of the armor, I always think about football. <laughs> American football. That's, that's something I can relate to. I wasn't ever in the, in the military. Never wore this kind of armor. But I did have the equipment, um, a protection, and the American football players uh, have. And uh, I was thinking about this uh, a few weeks ago. The, uh, the NFL had a had a match in Germany. Now, they've started doing this the last few years, where they they're trying to expand their market into Europe, and they play some of the matches in London. And then just a few weeks ago, they played in Germany, which was, I think, the first time I, I, that's happened. But anyway, they were uh, playing, and uh, the field they were playing on was a, was a natural grass field, which in, in the U.S., they've seemed to almost all gone to an astroturf, which is, uh, you know, you can control, you can control the, you know, the traction and the grip and all that, and many of the stadiums are even indoor now. But, it, but there on the field in Germany, and I think the grass must have been wet because the players were slipping around. I mean, the running backs were running and sliding and falling. And, and, and something happened in this game right before the end of the first half. One of the iconic football players in America, Tom Brady, uh, is a quarterback. And the quarterback is usually the one who, who takes the ball, gives it to somebody else, or, or throws the ball to someone else. Well, he does a very unusual thing. He gives the ball off, but then he goes around down the sideline, and this guy over here had the ball, throws it to him. So he becomes a receiver. Well, just as he plants to go grab the ball, he slides and falls down. And the, the opponent intercepts the pass. And so it's rather embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, Tom Brady, he's... Um, He's the oldest uh, football player now in football, falls down right there on the field. Well, in the second half, I heard that they changed their cleats to be longer cleats because they needed more traction to, uh, to play in, in the conditions they were playing in. Well, and saying all that just to highlight the importance of these shoes that Paul makes the analogy of is the gospel of peace. Again, 
in this analogy, we're admonished to live according to who we are in Christ and what He has provided for us. What is this this gospel or this good news of peace that He refers to here? Well, you can think in your own life and the life of those around you, there's many things that are happening that cause us to be troubled. There's so much uncertainty. So many things that that are outside of our control, we can't we can't plan for, and, and just things that just trouble us. It would cause us to worry and cause us to doubt. But as believers, we don't have to be uncertain about our relationship with God. We can have confidence in who we are in Christ and the fact that of the providential care of God for us. We can be certain in that. In John 14, verse 1, you remember Jesus' words to His disciples as He's getting ready to leave them. He's going to be crucified. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. And so, with this word peace here, for the believer, uh, we have the peace with God, and we have the peace of God. Peace with God speaks again of our position in Him. We were enemies of God without Christ. Romans 1.18 speaks of the, of the fact that the, the wrath of God is upon those that are without. And now in Christ, we are reconciled unto God. We, in other words, we have peace with God. The enmity is removed. The sin forgiven. Covered by Christ. Removed. Taken away. And now we are, have a relationship with Him. And we can stand in this relationship with God. Paul describes it this way in, in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified, in other words, we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Are you standing in this hope of peace with God? You have that confidence this morning. As believers, we should not go about with uncertainty and doubting about this relationship with God and this forgiveness we have in God. He would say in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, what a wonderful truth that is. I I think we take it for granted. We we, We think about standing before God. We don't have to fear that. Why? Because we've done a good job? No. Because we're going to be standing there in Christ. Because we have Christ. We can stand with the confidence that there is no condemnation upon us because Christ took our condemnation. He would come on later in that chapter, Romans 8, verse 31, and say, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he lists all the various powers and authorities like he did here in this passage. The, the devil and his demons. 
and, and, and all that would oppose us. And he comes on again in verse 37 and 39 and says basically that nothing, no power, no evil can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the peace that we have with God. And because we have peace with God, we are able to live in the peace of God. If you don't have peace with God, you have no hope of having peace. The peace uh, that comes from God. You see, this peace of God is peace that He gives to those who are trusting Him. It's not dependent upon the situation. It's not dependent that everything is going well. We can be living in the, in the worst of circumstances and have the peace of God. In our hearts because we can trust in him when we have on this good news of peace this gospel of peace we're able to stand firm when times of trouble come in times of uncertainty when we're tempted to doubt when we're tempted to ask do, do i really belong to god does god really love me and satan will come and Put thoughts in your mind, your mind like, well, if God loves me, why does this happen to me? How could God love me when I've been such a poor Christian? See, ultimately, all of those kind of thoughts come from, from Satan and his working. Philippians 4 gives us this truth that we can live in. Philippians 4, verse 6, the Lord is at hand. In other words, be ready. He's coming. It might be today. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he's alluding to this protection. It's going to guard us. It's going to guard our hearts and our minds. You'll go on in verse 89 and say, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, as he's going he's to teach us how to live, how to practically put on these shoes of the good news of peace. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, and if there's any excellence or if there's any thing worthy of praise think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and so we're to think about them and we're to do them we're to practice them and what does he say and the god of peace will be with you so that's putting on the shoes and the preparation given to us by the gospel of peace, the good news that we have in Christ and what He has done for us. Well, these are the first three pieces of, of armor that Paul alludes to here in this in this passage. And next time, Lord willing, we'll look at the three more that He gives us. But this morning, we've seen the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace. Father, we do rejoice in you this morning what you have done for us 
Thank you, Father, for the fact that we can we can rest in the confidence of who you are and what you've done for us, what you've provided for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we would uh, put on, that we would appropriate these truths and live them out in our daily living so that we might live and serve you and be able to be protected against the onslaught of the devil, the influence of the world in our own flesh and his working to defeat us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be sober and alert in this life that you've given us to live for you, this battle, the spiritual battle that we are in until you return. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.